This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Big Time Baseball, brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. I'm Josh Lewin, alongside well-respected baseball insider John Heyman. You're going to hear a lot from John Heyman on this one because of the calendar showing that it's late July. Each week, we'll bring you insight into the top storylines across Major League Baseball. And yeah, the trade deadline is definitely front and center right now, but all of our episodes are going to be including chats with the best baseball voices across the country. We went right for the insight this week. We've got Ned Coletti and Bob Nightingale joining in just a moment. Big Time Baseball, part of Radio.com, allowing you to listen to your favorite radio stations free of charge anytime, anywhere. Over 300 stations, over 1,100 podcasts, and growing. You can explore by location or genre to find what you need. Follow Radio.com Sports on Twitter at RDC Sports. And make sure you subscribe to Big Time Baseball on iTunes or wherever you happen to get your podcast. So, John, I start with a weird question for you. Uh, have you ever seen the off-Broadway show Avenue Q by any chance? <laughs> I have not. No. Okay, so here's what Avenue Q is. <laughs> Avenue Q is basically R-rated Sesame Street, okay? It's d- dirty Muppets is what it comes down to. But there's some real zen life lesson stuff in there. It's a musical, of all things, uh, done through felt. But uh, <laughs> it, w- one of the great songs that they sing is called Only For Now. Everything in life is only for now. And I'm reminded of that because sitting here at the trade deadline, Noah Syndergaard, for example, is changing his Twitter explanations here. You know, like right off the top in your bio, it says, Noah Syndergaard, New York Met, at least for now. And so, so there's a guy who kind of embraces the spirit of what's going on. Marcus Stroman comes in. That was kind of the first big salvo. I mean, I know, you know, before that there was a Jake Diekman, you know, before that a Homer Bailey, but the first really big name was Marcus Stroman. How does that affect what the Mets are going to do with Syndergaard and Wheeler, and do you like this move? One thing I'll say about the Mets right now is they are very unpredictable. I think this was a a trade that nobody could have foreseen. I mean, Stroman is a guy who could help any contender right now. The Mets are really not a contender. They'd have to go on an incredible run and... Nobody really sees that coming right now. So, you know, I give the Mets credit for being a surprise team, for going for it, for uh, even being willing to trade prospects. But uh, Stroman's a guy uh, who's got this year and next year uh, of control for the team that acquired him. So uh, he would seem to be much more valuable to a contending team than the Mets. But uh, as we stand now, the Mets are in an unusual spot, having arguably the best rotation in baseball. I know that the, some people would argue for the Dodgers, some for the Indians, maybe some for the Nats, but uh, this is an excellent and deep rotation, at least for now, to steal a phrase from Noah Syndergaard, who is probably the best tweeter among active players. It's, his 
Twitter account is very, very entertaining. I have to give him credit whether he's doing it. I'm not sure, but I, I think he is. And, no, and he is. Yeah, he definitely uh, is. I think he is, and uh, he is uh, as amazing talent beyond the pitching. So we'll see what happens. Uh, to me, it feels like the Mets are going for it for 2020, not necessarily this year, though they, they'd like to be good and competitive as good as they can be for the rest of this year. And if you're going to go for it for 2020, maybe you keep Syndergaard. I know that we've had a lot of speculation and even strong speculation suggesting he's on the way out, he's next. You know, at this point, and we'll see what happens here, I wouldn't be shocked if Wheeler is the one who's traded because he is a free agent after the year, and that does not impact their 2020 season. And uh, so we will shall see. They're gonna, they have a big price tag on Syndergaard, understandably so. Mets are unpredictable. Maybe they find the trade. As for now, I think this is going to have to go right to the deadline if they do make a trade, but I'm not going to be shocked if they hold Syndergaard at this point. We're, we're recording this on July 29, and this is the anniversary of Wilmer Flores crying because he thought he and Zach Wheeler were both packaged up to Milwaukee. We all did, and then that's when you know we kind of tapped the brakes on Twitter a little bit. I mean, everybody just figured this deal was done because it was on Twitter, and Wilmer cried that night because he thought he was traded, and, and then he wasn't. So in this landscape now where I mean rumors are just here there and everywhere if you're a Noah Syndergaard or if you're just a, a regular fan I, I mean how do you gauge how, how do you protect yourself from from what's actually happening and what's really not happening yeah I'm not sure every player handles it differently I don't know whether Trevor Bowers uh, long toss was related <laughs> to the fact that he's under stress as a player who's uh, on the block at this point uh, I mean I think it's uh, unlikely that he's traded him. I and mean, he is on a contender, obviously, a team with a chance to win a division. So I'm not seeing him as a likely trade target, but his name is clearly out there, and maybe it's the stress that got to him. Obviously, the players hear all about it, and it affects some differently than others. Uh, Noah seems to be having fun with it, at least outwardly. Maybe it's affecting him. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, Strowman, if, if it affected him, it certainly didn't hurt his pitching. His pitching has been fantastic, and... Uh, uh, you know, I think that's one interesting aspect about this trade. And, you know, obviously there's going to be some praise, some criticism for Brody Van Wagenen, the new GM of the Mets, who had a rough winter. But, uh, you know, I think part of the criticism is that he's now trading for a player who's having a career year. And I think people looked at the Diaz deal now in retrospect and saying, that was a career year. Was that the time to trade for him? And I think that's what people are looking at. You trade Diaz now when he's at a low point. So uh, the timing is a big factor. The emotions are a big factor at this time. And uh, I think everybody's emotions are riding high and it manifests itself in all different ways. We're spending so many plates here. I want to get back to, to Bauer in a second. But on Stroman, you know, this is a guy that needs a defense behind him, an infield defense behind him. He's a ground ball pitcher of the highest order. Not to be snarky, but you could make the case that Strowman is now the Mets' best infielder. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's he is issue. good. He's a good fielder. You're absolutely right. Uh, that is an issue. Uh, you are right about that. I think they're fine on the left side. Uh, Ahmed Rosario, whatever those uh, problems he had early in the year, seem to be straightened out. Frazier's fine at third. Uh, he may be traded, though, so we don't know how that goes. But I, I do think that the defense has kind of undermined their pitching uh, DeGrom is so good that maybe it doesn't affect him as much. Obviously, the lack of offenses impacted his one-loss record, but uh, in terms of uh, the overall stats, I think it's probably tough to look at Mets pitchers and not 
put that into consideration. It's not the in, just the infield. The outfield isn't good either. Uh, I mean, I think Conforto's a fine right fielder, but he's not a center fielder. You've got two guys on the corners kind of trying out. I, th- I think their defense, you know, their fans will look at it and say the bullpen has really undermined this team, but the defense has hurt them badly. Uh, Stroman had overlooked that. He looks very excited to be a Met. I've heard from his friends that he's excited, although there was a little hint in uh, Newsday that he kind of thought maybe it was the Yankees. Yeah, like a hissy suggesting. at first, that it wasn't the Yankees. <laughs> Yeah, he probably, but then he realized, you know, he's going home. He's from Long Island. He's from Patchogue. He was a big star in, on Long Island, which is a rarity. We don't have a lot of great baseball players from Long Island. In fact, his great rival was Steven Matz, and now they're teaming up together uh, for the first time as a professional. So that should be interesting as well. But uh, it's just a, a shocking first big trade, and uh, I think it was, uh, we give got to give Brody credit for uh, making news and making waves. We'll see how it turns out, though. So, John, back to Bauer, and it's funny how the Internet basically arrived at the same jokes at the same time once he heaved that ball to center. First of all, it was, what was the exit below? Second of all, it was, did Angel Hernandez call it a strike? But once we, wow. once we, That's moved, hard. I know, right? Is this any different than a, a batter snapping a bat over his thigh, really? I, I mean, I know people are so bothered that, and, and you know, he called it, childish and it was petulant and it's not a good look I get that but even though that was outlandish uh, you know Michael Conforto who's like with the you know nicest guy in the world Peter Alonzo really really cool uh, understated guy both these guys have snapped bats over their thighs so is that really that much different and should Bauer be painted as some petulant <laughs> villain yeah no I don't think so and I give him credit for sincerely apologizing it did seem to be sincere and of course he had to we saw Terry Francona's reaction uh, even the people who aren't great at lip readers like my uh, greatest lip readers huh. like myself could read exactly what Tito was saying oh, yeah. to Bauer and uh, Bauer took his medicine uh, you're right I don't think it's that different uh, Alonzo snapped the bat over his knee um, I mean there's a sm- slight I- risk of injury although I've never seen anybody really hurt themselves doing that I have seen guys punch walls in the in the clubhouse and and, and hurt themselves uh, doing it that way. I believe Kevin Brown was somebody who did that with the Yankees, but other guys have done it as well, not to pick on him. Uh, yeah, I think there's a very minor risk of injury when you're heaving the ball 300 feet or whatever, it was 400 feet, incredible. I mean, uh, it was entertaining for all of us, but uh, I think the risk of injury is very limited. Uh, I, I was there when Dave Rigetti heaved it over the wall in right field at Exhibition Stadium uh, in Toronto, and uh, Lou Pinella, the Yankee manager at the time, uh, took that well. I mean, he, Lou Pinella was a player who had a bit of a temper. He snapped, and uh, he took it differently than Francona did. We live in a different age, and um, I, you know, I think if if you throw it into the stands, you know, you're risking a a person maybe not expecting it and maybe getting hit. That would be bad. But he threw it into the uh, a batter's eye, and uh, I think his aim is good. So it, it didn't bother me. I don't think it bothers anybody in terms of a trade. I think the Yankees are still interested. I think the teams that were interested will be interested. So uh, to me, it was just an interesting little sidelight, and I don't believe that it hurts his value. The, the fact of the matter is his value is sky high. Uh, we've Stroman off the market. The guys who are remaining, they have sky high value, and if the Indians actually trade him, uh, they could get a ton. I still am skeptical as to whether a team that's got a chance, not only to win it a uh, wild card, they could still win that division. I, I, I still am skeptical that you're going to trade the guy who leads the league in innings pitched and uh, pitches per appearance. I, I, I'm not seeing it. I'll be shocked. 
they're, they're messing with your twins prediction. Here you were gloating all year. The minute you know what? You, you I'm still gloating. Right. You're right. You're right. I'm still gloating, uh, Josh. I understand that. And I know the lead is down and it's very narrow now. It used to be 11 and a half. But uh, look at that schedule. The twins are playing a lot of the teams in their division. Uh, the Indians have a much tougher schedule. So I still feel pretty good about that. I will continue to gloat until uh, until the Indians clinch it, which I'm not putting it past them. With Ramirez doing well, with their pitching staff getting intact, uh, they certainly have a clear shot at it, no question about it. Hey, you brought up the name Edwin Diaz a few minutes ago. The Red Sox make so much sense, right, for him. Alex Cora's got familiarity with him, loves him. Uh, the Red Sox, yes, I mean, even though they've moved Nate Evaldi to that closer's role, he's very unproven. So what do you think? Is that something that the Red Sox might take on now that they had that three out of four weekend against the Yankees? People are pretty excited in Boston again about what the Sox could do. I mean, yeah, I mean, Edwin Diaz would fit for a number of teams, obviously a very talented pitcher. Uh, to me, this would be selling low for the Mets. So I, to me, this is not something I recommend. I, w- I would wait till he puts some more good appearances together. He's got a long time to go before he's a free agent, but uh, you know, I'm taking this as they're investigating. Uh, it's certainly a seller's market, as we've talked about. Uh, the Red Sox are not the only team desperate for pen help. There's the Nats, there's the Dodgers. I think the Yankees would like pen help. Uh, I think the Astros. I mean, basically, any contending team could use Diaz. You throw the Cubs and the Brewers in, in that as well. So uh, I think they're trying to see what they can get, but I'm still going to be surprised on that one as well. The Mets have surprised us before. You don't know. I mean, they obviously loved Diaz when they made that big trade uh, with Seattle. Uh, to have soured it to the point of a trade now, I think, would be a little bit surprising. Now the Yankees. Got to ask you about the Yankees, who pretty recently had a stretch where they gave up five or more runs just once in 14 games. And that was five runs right on the button. Now it's five or more runs in nine straight games. They had a 19 in there. They had a 12. It's just been a ridiculous stretch. So is it almost like even though uh, they prefer not to, the alarm bells are going off so loud, and now that CeCe's on the IL again, don't they have to bring in a pitcher here? At this point, I think they do. I, w- I wasn't convinced earlier. I mean, when they were 30 games over with all the injuries, I thought they were doing a fantastic job piecing it together, and they were. But uh, at this point, if you match up with Houston in the in the playoffs and you see Verlander and you see Cole, the Yankees don't really have an obvious number one or an obvious number two at this point. Uh, over 26 innings in those seven games, their starters gave, gave up 52 runs, twice as many runs as innings. I mean, that is not a good sign. Um, they're in a tough spot. Uh, they do have some trade uh, pieces. They could trade uh, Davey Garcia, their top uh, pitching prospect. They could trade Garrett. Uh, I mean, Frazier, excuse me. Uh, Clint Frazier is, is another guy they could trade. They could even trade Andujar, the third baseman who did such a good job last year and was second in the uh, uh, Rookie of the Year balloting. Uh, I, the problem right now is everybody's sensing the Yankees are desperate. Everybody's asking for Glaber Torres. Uh, the Yankees do not want to give up Glaber Torres, and I'll be surprised if they do. Again, we've had some surprises already, so you never know. But I, I, I don't think they're that desperate to this point yet. We'll see what the deadline brings, but I, I don't believe they're going to give up Glaber Torres. Let's not forget, though, that Glaber Torres was given up for a rental of a Roldis Chapman. Right. So it's not... The craziest thing for a team to ask for Glaber Torres, as, as I'm sure the Mets have, and I know the Tigers have for Boyd, and several teams have, 
but I, I still at this point, I think they'd like to build that trade around Frazier, around um, potentially Andujar, and maybe, I think they'd like to hold on to Garcia. He's their top uh, young pitching prospect, but I think at this point they're in a situation where they have to consider almost anything. A lot of uh, Hamlet-level teeth gnashing right now in baseball operations offices everywhere. The, the agony is about to sell or not to sell, to buy or not to buy. The pedal has got to be down for a Minnesota, a Tampa Bay, a Washington. Don't you think? I mean, they're close enough right now. I know there are some teams like the Angels who are a, a bit of a tease and a frustration. And uh, Arizona, I would put in that category, too. But I'm, I'm looking at teams that, you know, some people are saying are on the fence. Should they buy or should they sell? I'm staring at Minnesota, Tampa Bay, and Washington, John, and thinking that they have got to go for it, don't they? Well, Minnesota obviously will. Uh, they've already acquired Romo, but they're looking at pen and uh, rotation help. And I, I think they have the wherewithal to do it. Um, you know, I think that's an advantage over Cleveland. Some people might look at them as a couple of nice Midwestern towns, but Minnesota really has a better revenue situation uh, than Cleveland. And I think Minnesota will uh, go for it. I think you're absolutely right. Tampa Bay, they have very limited revenue and they've got players getting injured left and right. They're in a tough spot. They've done a great job. I give them credit. I'm not sure if they go crazy at this point right now. It's a question whether they're going to win that wild card. You've got Oakland, a great second half team. You've got Boston with all that talent, the defending world champion involved in it and several other teams. So I'm not sure they are. And Washington, I'm with you. I think they need to go for it. I think they need to go over the luxury tax. They were over it last year. They don't want to go over it. That's one of the reasons they didn't get Kimbrell. But uh, to me, that pen needs help. I mean, you've got an ERA over six if you're and you're a contender. You got an ERA over six in the pen. I mean, uh, you've got to do something and not worry about whether you're over the two hundred and six million or two hundred ten million uh, at this point. Uh, it's not going to be a big cost for them. To, they're going to be if they're over, they're going to be over by a little, and they've got to do it. And there are going to be. There are relievers available. It is a seller's market. You might have to overpay, but Washington, I'm with you. With Minnesota, I think they both have to go with it. Tampa, I'm not sure. That's John Heyman. We've got a lot more insight from insiders straight ahead. Bob Nightingale, Ned Coletti, standing by. This is Big Time Baseball. One of the Radio.com Sports Insiders, one of the premier Major League Baseball reporters around. We're very lucky we already have John Heyman. Now here comes Bob Nightingale. You can follow Bob on Twitter at B Nightingale. That's how you do that. Uh, cell phone batteries charge, Bob. We're, we're recording this on a Monday, and obviously Wednesday is kind of D-Day here, so don't, don't get caught short with a bad battery. <laughs> I try not to. <laughs> what uh, what's the very latest? And I know you know again we're doing this on a Monday, and by the time people are listening to this, things might all change. But when I say what's the latest, I mean who are the names that you're thinking? Okay, this guy's got to go somewhere. Well, hopefully the Stroman deal woke everybody up because it's been a sleepy trade deadline, dull, you know, very very dull. So I mean, I think you, you got a, you know a handful of teams that have to do something. I'm um, the Yankees, you know, with the pitching. They got to go get her a starter, if not a starter, you know, a couple pieces for the bullpen if they want to go bullpen by by committee. Uh, the Nationals, you know, they've been the biggest uh, underachievers in the postseason now, you know, of this era. But yet, you know, if they go get one piece, if not two, for that bullpen, you know, suddenly that the Dodgers have a challenger in the, in the National League. Uh, the Dodgers got to get a reliever. I mean, uh, you know, they're kind of the Atlanta Braves of our generation, and uh, you know. It would, this would be a seven straight division title, back-to-back -back World Series. 
but they got to have somebody to help out Kenley Jansen. Uh, you know, National League Central all bunched up. I think who's ever most aggressive here, you know, wins that division. If nobody does anything, I, I think the Cubs, you know, pull away from the pack. But if you're the Brewers and the Cardinals, you know, you, you better do something. Hey, Bob, you, you mentioned the Cubs, and, you know, obviously Theo Epstein, their GM, uh, has been very aggressive over the years. I think you had written something recently about their potential willingness to trade some major league pieces. Uh, who are you referring to? What To what lengths do you think they'll go? And will they go over the luxury threshold? That's been an issue for them in the past. Yeah, I think they will go the luxury tax. I don't know if they don't want to. But, you know, at least they were aggressive this summer when they spent the $42 million on Craig Kimbrell uh, to close out games. Uh, I think at, at one point this year, Schwarber was available. I'm not sure now. He's pretty hot. Had the uh, big day over the weekend with the seven ribbies against the Brewers. But certainly you got guys like Carl Edwards available, Addison Russell very much available. Uh, you know, di- different pieces. Uh, so I, I think we all know in Theo – and he's going to be as, as aggressive as anybody. You know, I mean, a couple of years ago, he knew he had a, uh, a great infielder in Glaber Torres. Obviously, he made the all-star team this year. But he went and got Aroldis Chapman. Without Chapman, they don't win the World Series. So I don't think he's afraid at all to trade some big pieces. Uh, just on the Cubs standpoint, that, that farm system is not deep enough to really entice you know, the big names uh, because the system's too weak. You know, I'm about to ask you about the Mets, and I have to do this carefully because I was going to say, what are the Mets doing? And I know that could be kind of like <laughs> their, their catchphrase or their, their marketing slogan just in general. But what are the Mets doing? Because here comes Marcus Stroman, and I guess that's a piece for 2020. Does that portend uh, Syndergaard and or Wheeler going somewhere else? Is this basically the, the general manager here saying, okay, now I'm in the driver's seat. I'm dealing from a position of strength. What is their end game? I love, I love the move, Josh and John. I mean, the fact that they gave up, you know, two prospects, fourth and sixth in organization. Neither guy was among the top of 125 in, in baseball. And they got a premium starting pitcher, a pitcher that dominated in the AL East. I mean, if he's pitching like that in the American League East, you know, what's he going to do in the National League? He's only going to get better. So now you got you know pieces of trade. I mean, if somebody wants Wheeler, I, I, I would assume he'd get dealt uh, since a free agent. Uh, trade Wheeler. Center guard, you can hold off. I mean, right now the San Diego Padres, who seem like the Lincoln Center for center guard, said, hold on now, this this uh, the asking price is way too much. But why not ask for it? You know, the, the Mets also can just hold on to him, you know, for the winter or even next year as well. He's a free agent class. You know, outside Garrett Cole. It really is a, is a huge drop-off. You know, Cole, Cole should get over $200 million. I'm not sure if an interest-freezing starter gets, gets over $100 million. So I just think they saw the opportunity and pounced on it. I, I love the move for the Mets. Bob, I, I've thought going in that the Giants were going to be the most interesting team, and now I'm not so sure. I think everybody's convinced that uh, they're not going to trade Mad Bob. Do you think there's any chance that they become a seller here and – You've been kind of advocating for them to go for it, I think, and to uh, let Bruce Bochy have a shot at it. It's, you know, he's won three World Series, uh, probably without the best team any of those years. Um, where, where do you think that stands now, and, and what's your position on that? Yeah, I think they got to stand, Pat, John. The, uh, yeah, I mean, a few weeks ago, I thought, oh, man, they'll be the epicenter of the trade activity with the uh, 
Baumgartner as an ace, you know, Will Smith as a closer. Then you have, you know, Sam Dyson, Tony Watson, Mark Melanson, on and on. But now with the way they're playing and, and such a hot streak and being right in the middle of the wild card race, I think they uh, owe it to themselves to go for it. You know, like you said, John, I mean, they're never the best team, but they certainly were uh, winning those three World Series in five years just with their cohesiveness, clubhouse chemistry, and everything else. Uh, you know, I was in San Francisco when they played the uh, Cubs uh, a week ago, and all of a sudden there was a, there was a buzz there that I haven't seen in a couple of years. Uh, fans were flocking to the gates over 37,000 at night. And, uh, and TV ratings were down 35% the first half. That really alarmed giant officials. All of a sudden, people are watching games again. So money, the money is starting to come back through. I, I don't see how you trade those guys without the fan base going ballistic and, and the clubhouse going nuts. Finishing up with Radio.com insider Bob Nightingale. So uh, maybe the epicenter now in that division is the Diamondbacks. I know they're still in the race, but uh, I saw you tweet about Robbie Ray. Andrew Chafin might be the, the best lefty reliever available if Will Smith isn't going anywhere and Felipe Vasquez isn't going anywhere. What about Arizona? Yeah, Robbie Ray, they're drawing a ton of interest on Ray. You know, he's got one more year after this, which people like. He's a great strikeout pitcher, you know, uh, on when his last start on Sunday against Miami for the first time in two years, he didn't walk anybody. You know, six innings, uh, we have, I think, 11 strikeouts, six hits. Some teams like him more in the bullpen as a starter because it kind of scares you a little bit if he's only going five or six innings in the National League. You know, what would happen if he's pitching the AL East or something like that? But still, they know they have a valuable trade chip and they're going to jump on it. They need to rebuild. I asked about Granke. He's certainly available. But not getting any bites on him, and they're not really pushing him on, on anybody. Just with its contract so big, I think they think, you know what, for someone to actually do this, it'd probably have to be a uh, a winner move. So can people can adjust their, uh, you know, adjust their budgets and everything else. But yeah, they have relievers to trade. And they got a couple outfielders, and uh, Gerard Dyson uh, is drawn interest as well as Adam Jones. Bob, you, you've been around forever, which means longer than me even, so I give you credit for that. Uh, longevity counts, and uh, I think you and I both agree that uh, GMs have become more cautious. Whether that's good or bad, I'm not sure. What's your what's your feeling about that, and uh, over the decades that you've been doing this uh, and looking back on it now, which GMs do you think were the most aggressive and which were the best at making trades? Yeah, I think you should think GMs have become so timid now. They kind of hide behind the prospect wall. They can sell to their fan base, oh, we got all these prospects. Uh, you remember, John, back in the day, I want to say, you know, late 80s, early 90s, like Milwaukee Brewers were always, you know, Baseball America's organization of the year. They never won anything. I mean, they have these prospects. And, uh, you know, uh, there was a great piece in uh, Baseball America I saw yesterday where they examined all the prospects that were traded on the July 31st trade deadline. And only 20% of them ever spent two years uh, in the big leagues with even a, uh, a positive war score. So a lot of these prospects just never turn out. Uh, and, you know, it, it seems like teams hide behind that and they keep getting contract extension and everything else. I love the fact that, you know, Theo traded Chapman. I mean, traded Glaber Torres for Chapman and, and went for it. You know, Brody uh, Van Wagen and, you know, people criticized the Canal trade. Okay, maybe it didn't work out, but at least it's going for it. So many, uh, so many GMs are afraid, and they don't do it. You know, and those days are gone when we see uh, 
you know, the Jack McKeons of the world, you know, trade or, or, or the Whitey Herzogs and just going for the gusto. You, you can't be afraid to make a mistake and have a prospect come back to hunt you. Luck favors the bold. I've heard that before. Bob, keep tweeting. Keep the cell phone batteries charged. We'll be following you. Thanks, as always, my friend. We'll talk soon. Ned Coletti, former Dodgers GM, turned Emmy Award-winning analyst for Sportsnet LA. And as much as I want to talk to Ned and lead him with Will Smith, i got to start with Will Rogers, who's the one who said, rumor travels faster, but it don't stay put as long as the truth. How do we get... From uh, from one to the other here, Ned. How do we kind of peel through all the rumor and get to the truth at this time of year? Oh, all you can do is uh, is wait for the end. And, and I'd love somebody to keep track of how many rumors, how many proposed deals are supposed to make it, going to make it, and never make it. Um, I think it's great for the sport, not too good for the players or the front office, but I think the, uh, the amount of conversation that goes on in the last week and for the next few days on baseball involving – who's going to be where by the time you get to dinner time on the 31st is, uh, is a cool thing. But a little tough on the front office, a little tough on the players. Hey, Ned, John Heyman here. I, hey, congrats on that Emmy. I didn't hear about it. But you were a pretty darn good general manager, too. And not that long ago, I'm wondering, uh, it seems like guys are more uh, reluctant to make trades, especially prospects, uh, than they were maybe five, ten years ago. Uh, how, how do you look at that? Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think there, and there's probably a handful of reasons for that. I think, uh, you know, when you've had um, testing in, in sports for PEDs, obviously your older players uh, become a little bit more uh, less valuable at, at times, and so your younger players do gain value because of that. I think there's so much social media and there's so many uh, websites where you can get uh, prospect rankings. Think back to when we all started doing what we do for a living. You could hardly ever find out about a prospect. You would talk to a GM or a farm director, and that would be the only really source of how so-and-so doing. Now it's blanketed with information. So that always leads to criticism. That always leads to conjecture. And I think some people don't want to have to deal with conjecture or, or criticism sometimes, especially when it's from somebody that may not even be associated with, the, with their club. But I think that the, the emphasis on young players has heightened, and I also think the emphasis on uh, talking about young players has heightened. But yet, you know, there's some guys, as we all know, there's some, it's not just cut and dry. It's not black and white in my mind. This guy's really going to be a great player. Some of it goes to what market is he going to be playing in? I think that Brian Cashman has to look at a player differently. I think Theo Epstein does. I think Dave Dombrowski does. Uh, I know Andrew Friedman does depending on market size and what the what the expectation is. So a lot of different factors into it, but I agree. I think that the prospects have become more and more valuable as the price of veteran free agents has gone higher and higher and higher. You've got to be able to balance it off in some organizations. You know, talking, Ned, about who goes where and, and who's a good fit for, for what kind of town and what kind of organization, I guess that gets us right into Trevor Bauer talk because, you know, there are some, just to back up a little bit, I mean, Bauer and of all people, Mike Francesa had this weird back and forth on Twitter and there's this conjecture about, well, could a personality like Bauer fit in New York or would New York just fry him? So uh, how much does a GM look to his scouts and, and look to his, I guess, kind of, you know, really deep tentacles to other places to find out stuff like that, stuff that... I guess, you know, the, the people who are doing the rankings of prospects and, you know, how's their fastball, uh, we're talking about stuff well beyond that. 
think it's imperative. I think you, you really have to know um, if, how somebody's going to fit as best you can. And it's, it's kind of like asking for a reference when somebody's applying for a job. I always found that it was better to have known the player and have gathered information when nobody was looking, so to speak. Um, I could, you know, like, like when I signed Don Mattingly here, I had heard from, from Billy Connors years ago, the former Yankee pitching coach, and Dave Rigetti, the former Giants pitching coach, two guys who I respected. I knew so much about Don Mattingly before I ever had to ask anybody about Don Mattingly. And I think you have to do the same thing with players. I think you, you gain information daily if you're paying attention and you know how somebody's going to go during different periods of time and, and different, uh, you know, different emphasis on, on big games, big crowds, tough cities, tough stadiums. I think you gain that information little by little by little. I don't think you learn a tremendous amount in the last 36, 48 hours. You can, but I think it's a, a steadier course to do it all the way through. But I also think it is imperative that you know you know who you're getting and you know how they're going to react as best you can predict in a tight situation. Not everybody's made to pitch in Yankee Stadium for the Yankees or against the Yankees. So you've got to kind of take that, I think, into consideration as you, as you put together who you're going to add to this group. Because when you get down to it now, and these teams that are trying to make a deal you know, they're, to improve their club, they got sights set on October. We all know October baseball is not September baseball or April baseball. It's a different breed of cat. Hey, Ned, uh, you've been in three front offices, and I wanted to ask you specifically about one of them right now. I think the Giants situation is one of the more interesting ones. We all thought they were going to be sellers. At this point, at least from for us, it looks like it would be difficult for them to go into that clubhouse and say Madison Bumgarner's been traded or even Will Smith uh, how do you look at that situation right now? And, and from the way I look at it, I think it would be impossible. But if they were to be a seller, they could get a haul for these guys because this looks like a big seller's market. How does it look to you? Maybe the most interesting case that we've had in, in many years, especially because you only have one trading deadline. You've got a market that and we've, we've kind of forgotten a little bit about it because they've been so successful for 20 years or so. But you know, San Francisco was not always a great baseball market. And they really changed the, the culture, the philosophy in that city. And now, whenever you have an opportunity to make your team better and get to the postseason, you've got to take a few different things into consideration. If you get in, can you ride it for a while? Do you have an ace pitcher? Do you have a solid bullpen, which you're going to need? Do you have enough offense? You know, I've been surprised, candidly, that they haven't been better the last couple of years. So that they're better today doesn't necessarily surprise me. And if you, if you know your guys and you know you got Madison there who is, who is as good a postseason guy as, as ever, and he took a little bit of a step back, but so did Verlander a couple years ago. Right now, nobody wants to see Verlander either in a, a, from across the dugout. So I do think that it's a very interesting case. I would be surprised at this point if they did, if they did trade off some of their players. They could get a bit of a haul. But, again, you're talking about prospects. And the jump between AAA or AA in the big leagues, in a big market, it's, it's a vast gap. And I don't think you can, you can guarantee as you get this prospect, he's going to be Madison in three years. You know, he may be, but he also may be an up-and-down guy. When you got a chance to win, you've got to do it. So I think what Farhan needs to do there, and what, you know, what he's doing, I know him, very, very smart, smart guy, but good baseball man. I think he's got to figure out, Okay, if we get in, 
Can we get in? Okay, we think we can. If we get in, can we make a little bit of a run with it with our starting pitching? Is it deep enough to give us a little bit of momentum? You know you got the one guy at the top. You know you got a shutdown guy at the end and Will Smith and some other real good bullpen pieces. You take that chance. Because what you do do, if you don't do it, you'll have 60 games where the players are looking around and saying, you know, we're all about done now. Let's, let's put our mind on and getting out of here at the end of the season. You never want that. Yeah. And now, you know, sometimes that happens, sometimes that doesn't. But you do leave the door open for that type of reaction from a club. Finishing up with Ned Coletti. And, uh, you know, it, it's funny. When you broke in that I have to imagine assistants and secretaries were still trafficking in those pink while you were out slips of paper writing down phone messages at this time of year because not every GM even had a cell phone yet, let alone two or three of them. Twitter was a nonsense word, not a way of life. So I get that things change, but isn't it still very simply about finding a way to, to make your team better, whether short-term or long-term, and having to explain that to a boss? I think that's something that we don't always talk about. I mean, you know, we, we, this is all monopoly money to us, but GMs do have a boss, right? I mean, they got to explain this stuff. And every owner, every owner has got uh, a vested interest in it. There's very few, I would think, there's very few clubs that the general manager or the president of baseball operations uh, doesn't keep the owner, president of the club, fully vested on every twist and turn. Because there's a, there is a lot of money involved from time to time and a lot of decision-making. And you, know, you have to take a lot of things into consideration a little bit, including, okay, if you do not add and your team does end up losing the last, you know, 40 to the last 60 or something like that, or I guess maybe there's 50 left now, but, you know, some bad percentage. What that does to you going forward, does that, does that hurt your sales the next year? Does it promote your sales because you did go for it, and so you went 35 and 15 down the stretch and ended up getting in even for a minute? A lot of different factors that go into it. Every situation is somewhat different. You also have some GMs that are probably at the end of their contract. and some franchises that have not been to the postseason for a long time. Even getting the wild card game for them may be a big deal. So there's a lot of different dynamics, and then you've got the powerhouse teams, seems like the Dodgers, Yankees, Houston, uh, and a few others that are really, they're primed for them to win the last game of the last month of the season. That's what they're trying to do. So their shopping list is probably different than somebody else's shopping list because they've got to make sure the player they're getting fits the group, fits the room, and can, can fit into the, the highest leverage situations and, and can do it. And you, you, you know, but July 31st is a lot different than August 31st. But a lot of, good, a lot of cool stuff is going to come down here in the next few days, and I think we'll learn a lot, obviously, and we'll learn a lot about where franchises are at. You've got a ton of teams in the wild card chase. You know, a lot of them trying to be 500, which to me is not necessarily a good indication. Of, or it is a good indication of whether you've got a good team or an average team. But I think we'll learn a lot going down the road here. It'll be very interesting. Every situation is different. I think every GM is different. Now, you were a GM for nine years with the Dodgers, and I think probably with the Giants, probably assistant GM for a decade before that. And I know you did a, handle a lot of those calls dealing with the different GMs as the assistant GM. As you look back on it now, do you have any recollections of who you felt were the most aggressive GMs uh, who was the best GM at making trades as you th look back on it now? And uh, Were there GMs, not to name them, but were there GMs that you just gave up on? You just didn't want to do a deal because with them because uh, they were always looking for a deal from their perspective? There was a handful that was, it was always about them winning a deal. And you, <laughs> you learn early on that if you're really going to make a deal, you're going you're gonna to pay a price, but you're going to get something back you need. And there were, there were some that, 
never really wanted to see it that way for whatever reason and thought that if they didn't win a deal, they wouldn't do a deal. So those guys should kind of cross off your list pretty early. Uh, the guys that uh, – some of the guys I grew up in the game with were, were the, the people who we could – we talk all the time, and whether it was Doug Melvin or Walt Jockety or John Sheerholtz or uh, John Hart, um, on and on, Pat Gillick. Uh, you know, and Cash, of course, Cash been doing this for a very, very long time before Cash, Bob Watson, and I, I think that you know your your rapport with them and your ability to have a conversation to really get to the point. Jimmy Hendry was, was one of the best. You could just get right to the point, and you know there wasn't a whole lot of dancing around or charade or trying to pull the wool over his eyes or vice versa. You, know, you, you both knew, you both had respect for each other, and and you could you could get a deal done, or, or you or you didn't get a deal done, but you didn't spend a whole lot of time. You know, waiting on it or figuring out if you could or you couldn't. You know, as, as Theo Epstein got better and better in Boston, you know, he became one of those guys too. Some of the biggest deals I made, you know, Theo was on the other end of the line, including the Manny Ramirez deal. So, uh, you know, it's a time when you you scout. You know, we think about scouting. We think about scouting players. Well, you had to scout GMs and you had to scout ownership, and you had to scout scouts to figure out who was really good at what and what owners were really into it or what owners just wanted to make a splash and then walk away on the, on the, at the evening of the 31st of July with nothing. What GMs were like that or, or who was in a precarious spot or who had any anxiety in their voice. So you learned, you learned a lot. Ned Coletti, always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks so much for joining us on Big Time Baseball. Appreciate it. You guys have a great week. You guys will be an exciting week coming up. I know. Right. We're, we're, Thanks, Ned. We are caffeinating out the yin-yang here. This is for damn sure. John Heyman is our fourth segment here because he's got the, the nose out, the ears out, the eyes open. Uh, again, we're, we're recording this on the 29th, so by the time you hear this, if you're listening on the 31st or August 1st, some of this, I understand, might be a little bit dated. But as of this particular moment, John Heyman, who is the, the Carlos Beltran move of 04, the Royals to the Astros, or Cespedes in 15, Tigers to the Mets? Who's the, who's the difference maker right now? It, that's a great question. I mean, you're putting a lot of pressure on me. I like that, Josh. Welcome, I don't blame you. That's fine. I like that. Um, you know, I think that's an issue right now in terms of who is the game changer. I think MLB looked at this with one deadline. We're going to have this really great deadline and all these great guys are going to be traded. Maybe it's going to be a little bit like the NBA, but it's a, it's a different sport. There aren't game-changing necessarily players. Although Bumgarner did help the team win three championships, so if he had been if he was going to be dealt, that's a game changer. That's a big one. At this point, I'll be shocked if Madison Bumgarner is traded. The Giants have a magic thing going there now, and they've got Bochy in his last year, so I'm not seeing that one. And Syndergaard, I've been skeptical on that. I think a lot of people think that he is going to be traded, and I'm a little skeptical as to whether they would do that because, to me, the Mets, just, they do not like to rebuild. They want to be in a position to win. They've got Stroman for this year and next year now. If you have Syndergaard, too, they still have one of the best uh, rotations in baseball. I know they've had that for a couple of years and haven't been able to put it together, but uh, I could foresee them keeping him now and building around getting a, a center fielder, something they need to do in the offseason. So, uh, and, and then Bauer's another guy who's out there. I mean, these are the guys the Yankees want to get. Those are the three guys, uh, Bad Bum, Syndergaard, and, and Bauer. And to me, it's tough for Cleveland to thread that needle. They are thinking about it. Uh, seriously, they've talked about Bauer with everybody, and they are a creative group. They are a group that's willing to do something different, and I, I do expect Bauer to be traded, but maybe it's in the winter at this point. I don't think his, 
heave into the uh, uh, into the bushes in Kansas City is going to affect things, but uh, we shall see. So I, you know, it's possible. I don't you know I don't want to predict anything negative, but it's possible that we go without that game changer uh, being traded. Uh, We'll see. Uh, we hope not. Uh, based for MLB's sake, we want to see a big name out there. But those are the three biggest names, and I'm not sure any of them are getting traded right now. You mentioned Cleveland. Let me keep it in the Midwest, John. Do we rule out the Cardinals being active here? Because all of a sudden, Paul Goldschmidt, it has taken forever, but he caught fire. He homered in six straight games recently. So there's talk about them adding a controllable starting pitcher, maybe a lefty reliever. And they got a couple guys off limits, I know. I mean, the very top of their, their prospects pile, they're, they're telling people there, there's no way on, on a Dylan Carson or a Nolan Gorman or somebody like that. But what do you think the Cardinals might do? Because at NL Central, uh, it, it's still pretty jam-packed. Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting what goes on in the NL Central. Uh, we've been advocating the Brewers getting pitching for a long time, and they've pieced it together. Last year, they came within a game of reaching the World Series the way they went. Theo, we know he's going to be aggressive. Uh, St. Louis hasn't necessarily always been aggressive at the deadline, um, but they have been, I mean, they seem like they've come out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, it would be interesting to see what they're going to do, but. Uh, you know, I'm not seeing them giving up a Nolan Gorman or somebody like that. The, the way they're there is they draft well, they develop well, and they have players come up through that system and do a great job. So I would not, I would not recommend that for the uh, St. Louis Cardinals. I think they go stick with their strength, and their strength is drafting and developing and not trading. What about the San Diego Padres? Uh, they've got a really neat trade chip in Luis Urias, I think. But, you know, he's, he's to still stay with San Diego. A lot of talent. Of course, they've already got a lot of great young talent, guys like Tatis, who are turning heads. Uh, so what do the Padres do? They've been linked to Syndergaard, obviously, but are they in the import business, the export business, or both? Well, they're looking for a big-time starting pitcher. So if, if Syndergaard's traded, I think the Padres might have a decent chance there. From what I'm hearing, they were still apart. Of course, we are talking on Monday, as you've mentioned. Uh, thank you for doing that, because things change. Uh, you know, they're a team that loves Syndergaard. They want a, a leader for that uh, rotation. Uh, they've got pieces to potentially trade. They can match up. They've got a bullpen piece that's excellent in Yates. They've got outfielders they can trade. I think they're... Uh, more willing to trade Renfro than than Reyes, but uh, both guys are similar, having nice years uh, and showing that they may be stars or on the cusp of it. So uh, they've got pieces, and they also have obviously a terrific system. Uh, to this point, I mean, obviously they're not trading Tatis, they're not trading Paddock, but they've got a lot of guys beyond even Mackenzie Gore in that uh, minor league system that they could trade. I think San Diego and Atlanta are the best positions to make trades. I'm not breaking new ground there, but they're both in excellent position. Houston's the other team that interests me. They, they are in excellent position. They have a lot of good prospects to trade. And, uh, you know, I know they've been reluctant to do so in the past, but you know what? They, they could really make themselves the big favorite in the American League uh, just by doing that. Obviously, the Yankees have their pitching struggles, their starting pitching struggles. If Houston adds a Syndergaard or somebody like that, you, you throw that in there with Cole and uh, Verlander, you've got three aces on that team, and the Yankees really have just a bunch of mid-rotation starters now, and uh, they can really put a lockdown on things. So, uh, you know, we'll see if Houston, uh, they've been, as I said, they've been reluctant in the past to make deals, but uh, uh, they're in a position with all their prospects, with Tucker, Wiskoskis, and all their different guys to, to make a big deal that can really make them the favorite. 
All right, speaking of favorites, and I know things can change a lot between now and even Wednesday night here, but American League wild card. You got Cleveland or Minnesota. I still think it can be Cleveland, not Minnesota, that wins that division, which would bump Minnesota to the wild card. And, and I guess that would be your, your favorite. But then you got the A's, the Rays, and the Red Sox. If you had to pick one of those three, John, who are you picking? If I had to pick one, I might have to go with the A's. They're fantastic in the second half. I give them credit, Billy Bean, Bob Melvin. They do a fantastic job. Um, i got got to go with the A's. The Red Sox look pretty good against the Yankees, too. I, I Tampa is like the uh, East Coast version of the A's. They do a great job with uh, limited finances and have a $60 million payroll and then to lose Glass now, to lose Snell, to lose the relievers they've lost, to have absences at different times of Kiermaier and the different position players. I give them all the credit in the world, but I'll be surprised if they're able to beat out the Red Sox and the great second-half A's. So uh, I'm going to go with the A's, but uh, the Red Sox are certainly a threat there. It sure seems like, and I do like the Red Sox a lot, and I'm obviously closer to them now than I've ever been since I'm doing some broadcast work for them. But ever since Alex Cora put Devers in that two-spot, my God, I mean, that dynamic now, that one, two, three at the top of the order with Bet starting to look like the 2019 or excuse me, the 2018 bets in 2019. Devers, who's one of the great young players in the game that nobody talks about, and a very steady Xander Bogart, who I think is going to end up being a steal, signed that six-year contract extension. And if he continues on this arc, no fooling, John. I mean, that number two goes up in, in the, the ring of retired numbers in maybe 15, 20 years. Absolutely. I mean, their offense is fantastic. Uh, maybe the best in baseball. I still think they need to fix the pen. I don't know how you feel about that, Josh. But, uh, uh, you know, the, the first two months, uh, I think I, the way I look at it is they kind of got away with it. And uh, I just don't see that lasting the whole year. They need to go out there and get somebody for that pen. Anything else at this trade deadline, John, that, that you're looking at that's kind of off the grid? I, let's kind of leave it there. I mean, because we hear all the the common names, right? I mean, you know, we talked about Mad Bum, we talked about Syndergaard, we talked about Bowers. Is there anybody we're missing here? Yeah, I don't know about off the grid, but a team that gets overlooked a lot, based on my Twitter mentions, is, is the Diamondbacks. They could make a, a great sale, I think, and I think that their people are realistic enough to know, even though they're playing about as well as the Giants and they have a better run differential, uh, I think that they aren't that desperate to get that wild card, which is a tough spot. You play a wild card game, and who knows what will happen there. Uh, if you play the Nats, you may end up facing Scherzer, and then if you win that game, you may end, you'll end up playing the Dodgers, and that's a tough spot. And I'm not so sure that they're going to be desperate to hang in there. It appears they're going to do some selling, and uh, they got a lot of pieces there to potentially sell. Robbie Ray's the most mentioned, but. It'll be interesting to see if anybody plays for Zach Greinke, who's still an excellent pitcher. And then beyond that, you've got Jones. I, I don't think they trade Escobar who's having a nice year, but uh, I think they'll listen on anybody. Ahmed is a potential guy who could be dealt, and they have relievers, Bradley and Chafin and several others. So, I mean, to me, the D-backs have about, about 10 guys that could have trade value. Uh, and I give them credit because uh, they sign a lot of good deals. Uh, you know, obviously that Granky deal, I think, was more of a major market deal and I think a little desperation at the time, but he, he's performing, so you could trade him uh, if you pay down some of that contract. And I think they're willing to do that. So, you know, I, we don't talk a lot about we don't hear much about the, the D-backs, but they could be an interesting uh, uh, team over the next couple of days. All right, next podcast, we're going to go back and see how we did. Uh, talking about <laughs> might have all to this erase stuff. the tape. I, I know, know, I know, but it's going to be fascinating. And, and John, as always, thank you very much. 
Thanks to our guests, Ned Coletti and Bob Nightingale. This is Josh Lewin, Radio.com sports presentation of Big Time Baseball, brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Bye-bye. This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports.